Welcome, Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics, 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring. Our mission, to help you become a better player and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop. Here's your host, Stephen Box. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And we've got a very special guest today, somebody new to the show that you haven't heard before. We've mentioned his name, and today we are going to be joined by Aaron Kennedy. So, Aaron, how you doing, Aaron? Yeah, really well, thanks, Steve, mate. Really well. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And we're also joined by Jack. How you doing, Jack? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm glad to be back again. Season three, going strong. Season three is going strong already. We've had some cracking episodes already. And uh, Jack, our episode all about discussing your Tau and your evolution of your list has gone down so, so well. The feedback's been um, brilliant, actually. I think a lot of people have really resonated with that show, which um, I think is fantastic. And I think it was the first time ever people actually felt sorry for Tau. <laughs> well, it's great to hear, you know, if anything that we that we discuss on our podcast is helpful to people in, you know, just not, not just Tau, but in their faction as well. And, you know, it makes it all worthwhile. And I think that kind of brings us on really nicely to what we're going to talk about today with Aaron. So Aaron has recently joined the coaching and playing team of Vanguard Tactics. Um, Aaron was a student up until very recently, and um, Aaron has showed an incredible amount of um, sort of just that willingness to get involved and just taken part in all the lessons and helped out the community so much. Aaron's become a real vital part of our academy in which I couldn't really let him leave. So, um, and all the other students on the course had just sort of said how much of a sort of asset Aaron's been to sort of bounce ideas off. Um, and we're going to talk a lot today about Aaron and his orc list and how he's come up with some formidable combos and a really unique take on the orcs that I absolutely love. And um, me and Aaron played recently and what an absolute list in player Aaron is. So um, I'm going to hand the show over to Jack to uh, navigate. And obviously, I'm sure I'll um, chime in it with a few things in um, diving a little bit deeper to some of the things that Aaron sort of um, has to say. But if you are interested in maybe a different way to play Orcs or potentially a play style that might not necessarily be the most obvious one. And to, for you to really to understand how do you get more out of an army? And Aaron's going to go over a fantastic review of not only how the Orcs play on the tabletop in terms of their units and combinations, but ultimately a lot more detail in terms of, you know, how, they, how they're going to play the mission and how most importantly they can win the game. So if you can sort of deconstruct some of Aaron's concepts and thought processes, I think you're going to be able to apply that to your own game. And it's really, really going to help you so uh, jack i'm gonna hand the show over to you mate yeah great thank you so um i think yeah, you made reference to aaron's list but you know that's kind of the end of the story isn't it uh, a lot of hard work goes in prior to generating a top quality list um so let's let's start from the beginning sure aaron can you tell us um a bit about your journey t- towards becoming a, a coach and a part of the playing team at vanguard tactics Absolutely. Yeah, no worries. Um, well, first of all, thanks, Steve, for the amazing introduction. Uh, I think kind word. You can pay me later. <laughs> so I guess really uh, the story starts at the beginning of the year. Um, I kind of going into this year, I played a bit of semi-competitive up until that point, but I think this year was the, the year to really go big um, and hit the competitive scene hard. Uh, I signed up for 
bunch of tournaments, uh, London Grand Tournament, Bristol Grand Tournament, a few RTTs. Uh, the first one of those was actually the Hampshire Hammerers RTT. Um, I think it was about a 48-man event. Uh, it was my first big ITC event, really, well, um, in, in the scheme of things. And I, I didn't go there with any particular hopes or expectations other than kind of having just a good time and, and trying not to get my trousers pulled down. Um, yeah, uh, in, in the end, I took two wins and a loss, came 15th out of 48 at that one, which I was just ecstatic with. Um, but then to top it all off, I managed to get best painted at that event, uh, which had me buzzing for days. Uh, obviously, to your uh, see if you, you actually won that event. Yeah, uh, that was with the that was my, I think second or third event with the Blood Angels at the time, and we're talking about last year, guys. So when Aaron yeah. said this was going to be his year, I th- you know, you, you're talking about 2020, aren't you? Obviously, the the big year 2020. So yeah, obviously that whole thing got completely turned upside down. Unfortunately, when when COVID hit, yeah. So yeah, I. That was a great event, actually, and it was really, really well run. So, um, yeah, I can remember it well. The competition was good. So, mate, yeah, top work coming. So was that your then final event, like your first yeah. and final event of the year? Yeah, then? yeah, it was. Yeah, first and final event. That's uh, that was that was basically it. Um, I think I was, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that after the event and seeing you win the event, uh, yeah, I went and did a little bit of googling and, and actually landed on your Vanguard Tactics, the ITC Mastermind course. Yep, and I create cred an account and, and really got stuck in with that nice yeah just want to just want to add to that uh, aaron make sure you never let steve let her down that you got best painted in that event um <laughs> it, uh, it's uh it's not necessarily all about the competition sometimes uh, some hobby points uh oh yeah and kudos are there so yeah fair play i've seen um some of your models some of the photos not had the pleasure of seeing it in the flesh but um it's it's quite a sight in terms of the effort that you've put into the conversions and the paint job so uh, yeah fair play there thank you appreciate that so um yeah let, let's move on to yeah so we kind of alluded to the fact that 2020 wasn't a great year for anybody but um mm-hmm. how did you kind of adjust to the scenarios that were kind of given and um you know try and find success and develop your skills in um in what with everything going on last year yeah, well, it was, it was all a bit crazy. And, and I, like many up and down the country, um, was quickly placed on furlough scheme as my kind of my industry folded in on itself a little bit, really. Um, so I was on furlough for about two and a half months. So kind of needed to, especially with lockdown, find something to keep myself busy, to keep the competitive dream alive a little bit. Um, so after, after a few sort of emails from, uh, from the Academy, I, I decided to, to get stuck in and sign up for the, uh, for the Vanguard Tactics Academy. So, uh, at the same time, I, I also discovered, uh, a way to play 40k that's COVID secure, uh, and that, and that's online in, in TTS. Um, I, I would put a, a loose estimate, uh, having played around 250 quite very competitive games since then. Uh, allowing me to to really get to grips with uh, my army and, and play tests against a huge variance of armies and players. I mean, that's a ridiculous amount of games, isn't it? Two hundred and fifty. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I actually think about that, and and when you count how many days there are in a year, it seems crazy. But there was times when when I played two, three, four games in a day. Sometimes when I was on furlough, and that sounds really quite quite mad. But 
it was when, you got much, when you haven't got much to do, it's, it's, it's kind of keeps you busy, you know? Yeah, that is, that's a lot. <laughs> Fair play though for getting the reps yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. I, I always say as well, um, reps is, is one of the most important things uh, to, to getting, getting better at, at what you do. And it's get it's not just getting better at what you do, it's getting better with the list that you're playing, your faction that you like to use. It's um, I think there's definitely um tendencies to to switch factions or something like that, which we kind of covered on our on the on the Tal podcast as well. But what you've shown there is demonstrated hard work and dedication to your favourite faction pays off and you can you come up with a formula that kind of works and adapts for the ninth edition playset and the the meta at the time. Yeah, I think that's one of the worst things, I suppose, about, or worst, maybe best, I don't know, however you want to look at it, but in terms of, like, TTS, there's no entry to requirement, right? Mm -hmm. So you can just throw models on the table, spam everything you want, which I suppose is fine for a bit of playtesting, but what you did there was you used the same army over and over and over again you got your repetitions in and you found out what works and I think far too many people are too quickly to dismiss a list because they had that one bad matchup or which let's be honest they probably played terribly if it was their first or first few games of a list you always do I think you would need at least a good 10 to 20 games to actually get half decent with a list and then you're probably looking at 50 to 100 games to actually get competitive with a list um, and I think, you know, that's uh, kudos to you, mate, for doing that. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Aaron, you mentioned um, that you signed up to the Academy. I was just wondering what are some of the key highlights and, and lessons that really helped you on this journey? You, obviously, you're playing all these games, but yeah, sometimes the knowledge and the repetitions help significantly, but sometimes you need a bit of that additional support. So what was kind of th- the key things that came from that Academy that really helped you hone your game in a, across that uh, duration? Ooh, where to start really um th- there's so much stuff on the academy for you to really get stuck into uh obviously with the amount of time i had i, I could get stuck into all of it uh one of the biggest things obviously is all of the course material um getting stuck in with some of the intricacies and the advanced tactics um like in eighth edition the advanced wrap and trap scenario for example um, where, where you maybe just have one guy in engagement range and leave everyone else out so that you can then kill that unit, uh, wrap around it and kill that unit in your opponent's fight phase. Um, I think one of the other really huge part is the, is the daily lessons. So obviously you've got the, the quiz to coach sessions where we've got the lives where we can ask Steve all the questions. They're always really invaluable. But then there's also a list of the week where... Um, uh, there would be a, a list, a really um, meta-defining list posted every week, uh, which actually at the start I found really super useful because uh, I found where my knowledge of the game was very localised in terms of my local meta. For example, I'd never really played against uh, Imperial Guard or Raven Guard, for example, and I didn't know the tricks and stuff that they could do. So that list of the week was really good to sort of learn about all the different armies and what everything can do i also think the the choose your secondaries it, it was one of my favorites uh that certainly uh, in eighth helped me to kind of establish a, a game winning sort of strategy as to how i could really max my secondaries in eighth edition and then moving into ninth edition that 
was like especially with a new edition was really really useful to to get underneath how everything works so i poured hours and hours into those lessons setting them up on the table sort of thinking about my deployments taking notes etc and just picking up strategies to defeat armies that i'd never never seen before yeah and the the pick your secondaries lesson that we do um on the academy is one in which as Aaron said there, we post a list, we post a mission, we post a deployment, we post a terrain. So what we try and do is give all the students a overview of what scenario they'd be walking into to represent going to the table, meeting your opponent, and then throwing down their list in front of you. And then ultimately, it's my job to catch you out in the lessons so that when you get to the table, you're like, oh, Harlequins, I know they can do X, Y, and Z against me. And I know that this is a good pick and this is a bad pick against this list or how this mission can interact with my army or what units are on the table that can really make those secondary picks an absolute no-brainer and potentially some units on the table that might make those picks an absolute terrible choice. Um, And if you want an example of that, we did an episode where I played Jack versus Joe into a theory debate game where we really looked at picking your secondaries and again that was one of the highlights of our uh, podcast which is kind of where this whole idea came from for the, from this lesson and uh, really inspired that so um, I'm sure in the future we'll get Aaron on to um, maybe do a pick your secondaries against one of the <laughs> other coaches like Jack or something but I must say Aaron like I remember every single week there was always your list and I was like right okay it got to the point where I was like Aaron perfect secondary picks, can't fault it. And again, it was just a case of remember, watch out for these following things. So then you can go away with that information and add that to, you know, like the guides and the cheat sheets and the resources that we give you so that you know what questions you should be asking your opponent um, or those things that you need to be noting down about certain factions that can cause you uh, an issue. So um, no, honestly, credit where credit's due, mate, you put the time and the effort in. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I guess going beyond the the, uh, the daily lessons as well, I think the, the biggest thing for me about the academy is, and we've touched upon it before, I think in the, in the previous episode, is is that community, um, 100% the most valuable valuable thing there for me. I've never known a, a group of people like those in VT in terms of like a competitive environment. Uh, I've been in a lot of competitive scenes and groups throughout computer gaming and stuff like that, and even the 40K competitive zones. Uh, and uh, sometimes it feels like people can be out to get each other um, or prove people wrong, whereas the academy is completely different. It's it's everyone's there to help you, to help you become a better person, uh, a better player. Um, and I've actually made some some really amazing friends throughout throughout lockdown through the through the group so it's um it's been great for their support um it's it's just a breath of fresh air i guess to be a part of part of the community no that's awesome to hear mate yeah i completely um, agree with you there aaron it's um absolutely great community that has um been generated especially over on discord as well as the facebook groups and um you know that's thank you to all the people that are part are part of vanguard tactics to make that happen um so it's an absolute pleasure to be involved with. Um, which it, so just thank thanks to everyone. So, so we talked about the kind of how do you how you've learned to pick up and adapt to ninth edition and the resources that we've used. Now let's talk. Let's talk orcs. Let's get mm-hmm. let's get stuck into it. Now, let's uh, let's hear let's hear some in depth and um, 
and the reasons why you've picked them and how you kind of worked through into a list over time. So what what inspired you to pick the army in the first place? Yeah, orcs. So um, it's actually a really good friend of mine uh, from uh, my local uh, club, the Games Bunker uh, in Western Supermare. Uh, my mate Aiden, he, he suggested the army to me. Um, at the time, my Drakari army was uh, probably a little bit heavy-handed for the local meta in terms of um, there's a lot of people playing Space Marine Codex 1, which uh, was probably not really up to muster at that point, I'd say. Uh, so I needed to pick up uh, an army that was a new challenge. Um, and I'd considered Orcs before. I had them when I was a kid. Um, but the idea of pushing around like a, a, a massive blob of sort of, you know, like 100, 120, 150 boys around a table, it just it didn't, it didn't appeal to me. It wasn't something that I really wanted to do. And, and I, I still really don't um at the moment to be fair um so we came up with a concept of running orcs that was 100 percent focused on shooting now i've never really um looked at the orc codex um so i picked up the orc codex and was just looking through some of the stuff um and yeah actually it turned out that orcs weren't bad at shooting were they jack oh don't talk about it that was uh um no but um you know it's interesting about sticking with your faction we played that game and i'll and i remember at the time saying well orc shooting's broken but actually um there may be elements of that and i'll I'll reserve my judgment on one certain unit um (laughs) but uh, um i had fundamental issues on my list that i needed to address and which i have and it's it's made my list balance uh, a lot better so um but yeah and again that could be my est- underestimation and not appreciating, you know, my opponent's list and, you know, maybe looking at it and going, oh, this, these aren't the hot in- hot takes on the internet. There's not 120 boys. Oh, this thing's going to be garbage. I think um, and we spoke about this before, Aaron. Never underestimate a list because you don't know who's manning or, you know, operating the general behind it could have, could, could um, be playing all kinds of, crazy strategies to to make that list tick that you don't necessarily see 100 percent um i even if i look at a list and i don't think it's uh going to perform uh i will never underestimate it or or what the person behind that list can do um because that's just setting yourself up for failure really yeah just to sort of interject there and i think the list that you don't understand how it works is the list you should fear most. If you're looking at a list, you're like, that doesn't do anything. Surely you've got to be questioning yourself. Well, they've clearly put it together. So it must do something, you know, and it's those lists that can really catch you out, right? When you're at the table. Uh, remember the older uh, Trixie Tau Jack, that comment? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was uh from that, that old, was, from good friend of ours, um, and he's a, one yeah. of the, my teammates on the England team. We um we played against Mark Crumbleholm, didn't we? Yeah, in a team event. Um, and I, I pulled his Jakari, and uh, yeah, he, he called it Trixie Tal, and uh, Trixie Tal pulled out all the tricks, and um, somehow managed to get us the win on that on that game. Yeah, and like I can remember, Mark was like, "Yeah, fair play." Like, do you know what I mean? He because originally on paper it, it didn't look like a great list, but obviously when you played it out and there's something to be said about that, which I actually think going into 
uh, kind of COVID free, hopefully, you know, year now with, you know, uh, vaccines coming out, et cetera, being hopefully back out to gaming soon. We're going to see a huge uprise in players that have been playing a lot on TTS in, or, you know, just with their one friend in their circle or whatever. And I think we're going to see a lot of unnamed people coming out to the forefront of events like yourself, Aaron, absolutely crushing it and completely coming out of nowhere. And I think some of the more, I'm going to say like uh, notorious 40k players that we've seen in the past, I don't think necessarily are going to be up there in the rankings because they haven't necessarily got the repetitions in. They haven't put the work in. And what they haven't done as well is potentially adjusted to ninth edition. And ninth is so, so different to eighth. You know, back in the eighth edition meta, I was, I remember putting a post in the Blood Angel group once and I said, look, I think if you're taking a smash captain, you're hamstringing yourself. And everyone was like, thought I'd like offended their child. And now, you know, you look at the rules, characters, they don't support each other. They, you don't get your own re-rolls from characters. Characters are in the list to support your core units. And uh, it's like, do you know what I mean? It's like the game's completely unfolded. And I think we're going to see a huge change in player base when we get back out to playing, which is going to be great. And I can't wait to see what you can do, Aaron, with your orcs. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it. Uh, get, getting out there and, and playing some proper events, like you say, I think that there's going to be a, a lot of unknowns, a lot of unknown names um, that are really going to um, push the push the meta, I think. Which is can only be a good thing for the, the overall competitive scene. So let's talk about ninth edition, and because uh, you picked up you picked up your orcs in eighth, you built mm-hmm. an army, you got together, and you and you, you were playing games and stuff, and then um, and then ninth edition dropped. What was your uh, what was your feelings when that landed? What 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 did you? Oh, yeah, um, touching on on eighth briefly, uh, all that work that I put in through that kind of two and a half months of of uh, lockdown and furlough, it got to me to the point, and I, I also built my my eighth edition army, painted it, got it completely ready to to sort of. It's quite positive that I'd be able to get out there. And, and play games um, sort of in the summer, you know. And I had a really, really great, great list. I'm not going to lie. It was, um, I was really happy with it. And then knife drops. And I think a lot of people will uh, probably agree with me in saying that it was, it was a difficult time for, for Orcs um, going from uh, a codex that, in my opinion, is, is kind of balanced to have a comfortable 18 CP for from the beginning of the game um, uh, to if you played in the same way as you're playing in eighth to essentially having zero CP to, to fund what you were trying to do um, and or, or you lose your cultures um, by having the different detachments and I think that that in itself was a big blow to me um, and then also on top of that there's the, the kind of disparity that uh, taking my almost t- trying to take my eighth edition list and drop it into ninth because that's what I wanted to do and be able to do uh, just wasn't going to work in terms of secondaries because my old list had three weird boys. Now weird boys are designed the the psychers the orc psycher are designed to to essentially kill themselves to get 
plus to cast. You can get plus three to, up to plus three to cast based on how many models you've got nearby, and that calls you to perils on a twelve plus. So it happens a lot. They kill themselves. So all of a sudden, you add into the mix a bore the witch and assassinate those. That one weird boy is giving up eight victory points um at the start like just for being killed when he's killing himself in the first place so yeah that that i I had to choose a different way of playing just based off off of that to be honest yeah i completely agree with you on the um about the balance of the book codex and the stratagems were definitely designed with having multiple battalions and brigades and stuff um and i think it's the same with some other codexes say like gene stealer cult um, have suffered that same thing in the transition because they're definitely built in, in in that triple battalion kind of way and their CP have been costed accordingly. So, um, yeah, 100% agree with that, um, your review of that situation. And, you know, I remember when ninth dropped and the blast keyword came out and there's lots of, you know, naysaying about orcs and they're completely ruined and stuff like that. But um, I, think, I think the answer is clearly not, actually, once people have found yeah. a new way. Exactly, exactly. There's always that sort of knee-jerk reaction, isn't it, to anything really? And it's only until you get it on the table, you play it in lots of different ways against lots of different, you know, different types of armies. And actually you realise maybe these things aren't as powerful as, you know, they may seem. Um, and yes, you can build around it and there will be those real bad matchups. You're like, oh no, Blast is, you know, absolutely destroying me. If you have took the Horde of Orcs, and obviously we know you've took a slightly different list as you mentioned, Aaron, but yeah, yeah, we never want to have a knee-jerk reaction to anything really. No, no, exactly. Um, which which I kind of did for a little while, but we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, I think the other big secondary uh, letdown for me in it, in it, it was until very recently, uh, a huge issue is is the bring it down scenario where uh, you've got a whole army full of uh, vehicles if you choose to play that way in orcs and they're giving up vast amounts of, of victory points to bring it down so like my previous list where i had nine mech guns um actually that's given up 18 victory points to bring it down and quite easily as well so yeah, truthfully, for 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 a little while, it, it caused me to look at other armies. When we were getting all the little tidbits through of Ninth Edition, I play tested with um, the Trakari, with with Harlequins, got the old Space Wolves out, a few other ones, and um, and so on. But uh, I think my heart was was always with the Orcs, and some sort of late night encouragement on the VT Discord from a, from a few of the guys. It kind of, I was convinced that uh, we could make it work. Um, so I, I kind of I feel like I, I couldn't be in a better place than the academy uh, to to do that really. Oh mate, yeah, that's awesome, and I'm so glad you've kept with orcs because you absolutely mastered them. You know, we've you know, obviously Jack Jack's had a good runs with some orcs, but as you know, Jack's a towel man. He likes his fish, uh, but it's nice to have uh, a pure green skin amongst the ranks of coaches now. So I think it's awesome. Absolutely, you know, that's the strength and depth that um, we're looking at on our side. And uh, we've now got a designated Orc player on the team rather than me just dabbling around and just launching 30 boys across the board and hope for the best. So uh, I'm, I was very much uh, brutal rather than cunning. And I think you might be uh, cunning rather than brutal. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cunning, but cunning, but brutal. Definitely. All right, cool. So yeah, we got, we kind of alluded to it, but can you just put a bit more meat on the bones about your change in approach and what were you looking at when you're switching from eighth to ninth? And, um, cause you seemed a little bit between a rock and a hard place between keep, um, bring it down and, um, thin their ranks, didn't you? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I guess really the first big decision that I had to make in, in ninth was the composition of my army. Um, uh, the decision I had to make to kind of either reap the benefits of uh, what is a really strong point of orcs in the cultures and the custom jobs, uh, which are going to cost me CP if I wanted to achieve that, uh, or stick with one culture and maybe be able to use a few stratagems. Um, so, uh, yeah, based based on that fact, um, I really needed some of the custom jobs. I think the custom jobs that, uh, that we have access to, uh, they really, really drastically improve some of the units uh, and we'll go into a few of those a little bit later uh, but just as an example and and it's actually I, I don't use it in this way in my current list but uh back then uh back guns the, the ninth edition uh maps the boards everything it was very open still it wasn't quite as closed in as it is uh, in the meta currently in terms of terrain and features uh so i was using still using my mech guns and a little bit of math hammer for me showed that by using the grot mobs uh, subculture, I could increase the damage of the mech guns by 20%. So in terms of whether I wanted to use, to spend that three CP for a spearhead to be able to increase the damage of them by 20%, it's kind of a little bit of a no brainer, uh, especially when you look at um, how in ninth edition it's, it's, from the beginning was all about these this mid-board control and, and kind of elite units. So a mech gun is, is really primed to be able to kill something like an eradicator, especially if it's got a line of sight on it, which it, it really did at that point in time. Yeah, I think that's a re- I think it's a really good way to actually look at taking a different detachment is if there was a stratagem which said three CPs and for the rest of the battle use a stratagem only once, but increase your, I don't know, like armies output or durability by 20%, you would play that stratagem every game. Wouldn't you? You know, it's it, like you said, when you look at it like that, it is a no brainer. And I think it's a really, really good to way, way to look at how you take detachments. Um, yeah. And I think there's, you can tell that the Orc Codex was definitely written with the 8th edition mindset of you want to unlock as many detachments as you possibly can. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see what happens in the future, I think. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited for uh, for what the, the future of Orcs could be. Yeah, so I guess the, the, the next big decision for me was on reducing the opportunity for people to score secondaries against, against me. Obviously, we mentioned earlier, I, I think against my old list, people were maxing secondaries all of the secondaries very very easily against me which which, as we know really just doesn't work for night edition um but i had to concede defeat on one of those secondaries and that was bring it down for me uh like i said i didn't want to play the the blob of boys so uh most of my army is a vehicle essentially so I, i went that way in a really big way um completely blocked off things like assassinate it just wasn't. I, I think I only gave up about not, uh, six to nine points on assassinate. So the only thing people could really score against me was bring it down at that point. 
that's great. And he kind of, it's an acceptance of it, you know, and to then when you're list building, not to worry about throwing an extra vehicle in because you're already gone past the uh, point of no return and given away 15 points. So, you know, there's no put if you add another three, six, nine, 21 VPs off the back of your vehicle. So yeah, it's, it's uh you kind of, you go it, go all in on it, except that you'll give up 15 points when you're doing your game strategy and uh, work around it. Yeah. And I think it is well, because you are taking so many vehicles, multiple wound, higher toughness, harder to kill single models, then the more you do of that, unless your opponent has a very skew list. And this is where, when we start to look at WTC and team event games, having these skew lists on the table can really cause your opponent a bad day because typically most people will take a very well-rounded army, a little bit of stuff to tackle, you know, like a toughness eight vehicle and maybe some other weapons to tackle elite units and some more to tackle some hordes. So when you've just gone, I've just got vehicles, can you deal with it? And by the time then in your initial turns, I suppose your priority there, Aaron, is really just taking out what you perceive their army's MVP to be, which is, let's say, I don't know, they've got that one three-man unit of eradicators. I can imagine they've got a massive target on their head because you know once they're gone, you can just run around as much as you want, right? Definitely, yeah. Dare I say it, um, the way I, I try to to use my orcs is, is almost like a surgical scalpel. Um I know, like you say, that the eradicators are potentially going to cause me a bad time. At the moment, one of those things is inceptors. So I focus on killing that as fast as possible or doing something to take it out of the game, whether it's tying it up, doing something else. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So what you took was your Drakari glass cannon and then you've just decided to make your orcs one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, it's, it's really funny. I was thinking earlier on, actually, how uh, how... Actually, my Jukari army would play very similar to, to how I'm playing Knight of Orcs now. And I think that really comes down to, again, as a player, you've developed a play style. It obviously works for you, and which is probably why your Jukari army and your Orc army look very, very similar. <laughs> yeah. And I can imagine if I give you the task of playing Jeans de la Cole, your army would probably look very similar or craft world elder whatever it might be um you know the guys joke about me and my um infantry based horde melee jump pack armies um and we all have that sort of play style you you take jack for example very mobile shooty army if you take him out of tower what's he play raven guard so again there's these similar things and themes here where you're drawing on your strengths in you know, you're understanding this is the best way that I play the game. This is the game or the phases that I understand really, really well. And I'm going to lean into those and I'm really going to make the most of it. So um, let's dive into that a little bit more. What sort of units you looking at and uh, kind of where have you felt there to be some strengths in the codex or maybe some standout units that might not be on everybody's like, that's an incredible unit list. Yeah. So uh, must takes for me and, and I wanted to be able to take units from my uh, 8th edition list and, and bring them into my knife, not just because I, I had already built them, painted them and, and put all that hard work into them, but also there's, there's a few of them that did translate very well and uh, I, I just really liked and enjoyed. So a, a couple, the first of those uh, was, was the Smasher Gun, 
Now, it is it is kind of the the bane of uh, most elite armies, really, in in terms of the the way that it, it obviously it's ballistic skill four, which for an orc, uh, and I know um, Jack kind of maybe <laughs> feels like he should be ballistic skill three and is ballistic skill four. Whereas for me, that ballistic skill four is a, is a really big improvement, especially when you put volume into that. And then there's the the unique way that the smasher gun uh, rolls its wound roll, which is 2d6, and you've got to equal the toughness of your opponent. So against a Eradicator as a prime example, um, I only need to roll a five on two dice to be able to wound that that model. And and that doesn't, like transhuman doesn't work on that. Uh, So obviously transhuman people, uh, you can only wound on a four. Uh, that complete the smasher gun bypasses that it doesn't doesn't exist to a smasher gun add on top of that it's a minus four ap so it's straight through and it's d6 damage so really yeah especially early night when people hadn't quite cottoned on to throwing more terrain on the board that was really uh, a big one for me in, in terms of good units put down on the board uh the second for me really uh was uh, a unit that not a lot of people have certainly when saga of the beast came out cottoned on to but part of the uh, academy is obviously about really analyzing any new book you get in depth and looking and cross-checking it against all the different units in your army and, and how that might uh, affect how that unit plays and uh, f- for me the death dread um, and, and making it into a shooty death dread obviously big theme of my army I immediately jumped on putting the plus one ballistic skill custom job onto the Death Dread, which again, as we talked about earlier, that's ballistic skill four is is really huge for me. And uh, so, so the Death Dreads, you can put a unit of uh, take a unit of three, and they get f- up to four custom Mega Blasters each, which is strength eight minus three d six damage. And you, you add on to that the the Death Skulls re-rolls um, becomes very potent because the Death Dreads, when you place them down on the board, they split into a separate unit. They split into separate units. So they get the special Death Skulls re-rolls each. Um, I think, Jack, you yeah. didn't really expect them, what I, what I did with them, to, to do what they did in our game, did you? No, absolutely. That was is a fundamental example of um, what we were talking about earlier. I completely underestimated and ripped this unit off. Um, I'd seen you post it in um, in picky secondaries and list the, and um, in the list workshops. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I was looking at your list and those are the first things I'll take out, kind of thing. Boy, was I wrong! <laughs> they came and hit me, and they hit hard. These guys are awesome with your. You know, your ballistic skill four plus, you got your death skull reroll, hit wound, and damage. And then you get the occasional six daka daka daka. It comes more reliable because you're hitting on a four. They're really good. And uh, fair play to you for finding them. I um, I have a lot of time for those death dreads. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, a, a big, I guess it's a little bit of a trademark of, of how I run them is that I most of the time will deep strike them with the teleporter stratagem. Uh, it's two CP and you can deep strike them anywhere on the board. And they're almost for me a, a guaranteed uh, beta strike. So they're obviously coming down turn two, but it really forces your opponent to think about the space that 
they uh, can drop down. And if they don't, if they don't think about that space, then they're kind of down for a bad day, really. No, I think it's a fantastic bit of utility there in um, your ability to critically analyze that codex, you know, now is just incredible. And I'm sure you've done it once again with, you know, some other things we'll probably go on to talk about is obviously the Forge World Codex got released for you. And then also you had the uh, recent January FAQ and being able to go, let's take stock again. Is this unit still viable? Let's go through, let's justify everything because there might be something now that is just surpassed that take and you cannot ever just rely on things because of, you know, what was good doesn't necessarily mean it's good tomorrow. And the meta, everything's constantly shifting. Death Guard have just arrived and on the horizon now, you know, we need to go through that same process again. We need to keep analysing what tools do we need in order to, you know, tackle Death Guard. And I actually think these Death Dreads, being able to re-roll a wound roll now, where Death, get Death Guard are on the table, minusing one damage, that's incredible. I think this is going to be a really good standout unit as those Death Dreads. Definitely. Uh, the final uh, on my sort of list of must-takes out of my 8th edition list was was the Megatrack Scrapjet. Uh, I think everyone can probably agree these are just an absolutely fantastic unit. There's so... Um, the duality on them is, is incredible. They've got uh, a lot of big shooter shots, which are very good at killing everything from uh, Harlequins to, to sort of three wound, uh, sorry, um, toughness three models, etc. one wound models. They're really useful. And then they've got the, the big heavy hitting missiles that are flat three damage, strength eight, minus two. Um, 2d3 shots so they're great at killing again elite infantry this this you'll you'll kind of um, find a bit of a pattern in terms of what i am targeting right now and generally it's three wounds because you've got blade guard you've got uh, eradicators and scepters wraiths all sorts um, and the the death guard codex coming around the corner as well i think three damage is, is going to be even more important and the objects fight in combat they do yeah oh, twice so yeah your new um ethical re-rolls yeah i think absolutely brilliant unit and i'm sure that doesn't come to too much a surprise to, to the the orc fans out there um they got a lovely uh, custom job in um in their psychic awakening yeah yeah the fight twice is 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 amazing and also the mortal wounds as well. It's just like the list keeps going on and on in terms of what these guys can do on the charge on a four plus they do D three mortal wounds. Like it's just bonuses upon bonuses, especially when you can just run three of them. And then again, they split apart using that special kind of orc rule and act as independent units. Oh, cool. So we're starting to get a feel of what your list is looking like. It's, you know, lots of vehicles and um, you finding them some really efficient shooting in there. But uh, yeah, if you could kind of cover, so how are you going to score primary of all these vehicles? What kind of other bits to the list have you got to to play those to play that part of the mission? Yeah, sure. So throughout our kind of initial playtesting of, of Night, it became obviously really uh, quickly apparent that mid-board control and staying power uh, on objectives is really important. So obviously with the primary in Night, you score it the turn after. So... You've, you've got to be able to stay on an objective in your turn and then throughout your opponent's turn, which is on a an army that's classically not really well-known for its durability is, is kind of a, a really big challenge. 
so the way that I tried to overcome that was essentially to to, to, well, to put the uh, boys into to transport. So I, I kind of took my blob of 30 boys that I had in my previous list, broke that into units of 10. And at the time, uh, I was using the Chinook Warcopter, which sadly now has gone into to legends, but that was an open top flying transport. It was an aircraft, so it couldn't score, score uh, any objectives. But you move that onto an objective, and all of a sudden your opponent has to either kill that and kill all the boys inside that to stop them from spilling out onto the objective and taking the objective or ignore it. And then the following turn, I spill out onto the objective anyway. Or And also they're obviously taking the firepower away from those those transports to to, to from killing other stuff in my army that's obviously quite quite dicey on that same that same wound profile uh i think this is a really important take uh, for anyone from that's uh, trying to play ninth at least with uh, an army that's got classically uh, weak or, or vulnerable troop choices and i know you've played into it a lot and it was mentioned on your your um tower podcast jack that with your your breaches in the transports is very much the same methodology really yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, your obsec. It's uh, is you gotta keep it safe. You need to get it places. And and as you say, it's what highlights in your list is that transport profile is the same as the scrap jet. Almost, it's the same as the death dread. It's you you drown your opponent in bad choices, which I'm finding very useful in ninth edition when trying to play around the mission and things like that. And your list particularly plays on that point very well. Absolutely. I, I, the amount of people that I've played against that have really struggled uh, and outwardly said, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to shoot because there's no one unit in my army that I'm hugely like fond of in terms of if, if I lose that, ar- that, that unit, my game plan's over. I think a lot of armies rely on that. Mine just doesn't whatsoever. You, you can kill uh, a couple of my scrap jets. I've got a load of mech guns to shoot you off the board. That, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, I really like the way that we were talking um, a few weeks ago. You, you mentioned durability. And, um, yeah, you mentioned um, your durability is not in your stat line necessarily, but it's in the number of units and threats that you're putting out there. So for me, that was a really a real big eye-opener in terms of how to think about durability. Outside-of-the-box thinking, isn't it? 100%, Yeah. The uh, we um, Steve briefly mentioned it earlier as well. The the special ability for orcs to uh, to split into separate units when they drop down. So mech guns do this, uh, the scrap jets do this, the death dreads do this. So a unit of six mech guns goes onto the table, and you have to target them separately. So all of a sudden, a, an eradicator trying to get rid of the, the mech guns where they get their shoot twice they either split their fire and lose half their shots or they target one and kill it massively, but it's only a 40 point unit. So all of a sudden that uh, efficiency of that uh, part of the opponent's um, unit just goes down through the floor, really. Uh, I think, yeah, a, a new take on durability is, is that, that if you're using a dreadnought and you've got two last cannons, uh, four last cannons rather, and you do you shoot two into one mech gun and two into the other? 
uh, ra- rarely did that actually pay off for people. So yeah, that was a, a big part of my decision as well. And just quickly before we move on, are you still running those mech guns or are you, I know when we played, you were using a slightly different unit, which I was, yes. I was like, this is incredible. And obviously without <laughs> the Chinook, you know, you starting to take trucks now. So where's, and also, are you happy to share your list? Because if so, obviously I can pop that onto the blog page and people can see your list as well. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah. So yeah, going towards the, uh, the sort of latter end of ninth and, and where I've moved now in my list, obviously the Forge World book came out. It took my Chinook Warcopters and put them into Legends. So I had to come up with a new solution. Obviously the truck is a very, the Orc truck is a very efficient transport. It's only 65 points. Uh, which is is really good considering the the sort of defensive ability that it really has to keep to protect those units. Um, then developing knife as as the sort of TOs and organisers started to introduce more terrain. What I was really finding actually is unfortunately the mech guns they were just not performing for me in terms of. The, they're very limited in the movement. They've only got a three inch movement, so they weren't really getting line of sight enough for my liking uh, uh, and that actually timed in really perfectly with with the book uh, and I had another good analysis of the book and and discovered the the, the new completely new um, sheet of the cannon wagon yeah so it's uh it's basically it's a it's a battle wagon profile so it's toughness seven uh 16 wounds so it's, it's a big tough vehicle it's it's quite hard to chew through um the the big thing about it is it's got a really really big gun on top of it called a super cannon uh it's a 60 inch range it's 2d6 shots it's strength uh eight it's minus two and it's flat three damage now obviously we talked about the flat three damage being a big part of my army earlier uh the big thing about it though is it with that big gun it gets uh plus one's hit so regardless of distance away anything like that it's plus one's hit so it's a it's an orc vehicle it's plus one's hit immediately or i want it on top of that it gets three big shooters nine shots which uh just adds into your your take all comers part of your your list uh and then yeah also it's the 60 inch range It's, it's just really difficult for um i can sit it right at the back it's got 12 inches of movement four times the movement of the mech gun so like you can really position it to to be able to view uh enemies and um it's 170 points it's really really cheap for what it for what it does uh, so yeah that's that's basically those cannon wagons have replaced the definitely the, the mech gun arrangement in my list and they they're really performing for me yeah they're absolutely brutal um and an awesome bit of kit because it just helps you in not only score your primary, yeah, but so I um, would say that I like that part of your list, but, but uh, I don't really want to lie to the listeners to be honest. Um, no, but, but in all seriousness, yeah, like those mech guns, as you say, were too slow. They're too cumbersome. They're taking up too much room more than anything in deployment zone, I imagine. So actually let's, you, you've identified this, you know, new data sheet came out, you spotted it. It leveraged straight into what you were trying to achieve in your overall list in terms of that flat damage free, high volume shots, ballistic skill four, it was the perfect fit. Um, we will give the Chinook, you know, um, rest in peace 
in Legends. Hopefully one day you'll be back because uh, that'd be cool to see uh, a kit in the future. So let's, we, we talked about um, issues of secondaries, but what's your kind of your your strategy to overcome the, overcome the deficit caused by bringing it down? Obviously a, a big one is that there's been a big change in the secondary to begin with, isn't there, in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, 100%. My, my list actually since the FAQ has uh has come out has not changed i've not made any changes to it i think actually it just makes my list stronger obviously uh i went from previously i think i was giving up like 29 points of bring it down um (laughs) just just really tough and people max it really early in the game which makes it hard for me to to pull back from that but now i quote unquote only give up 16 points but six of those points are tied up in the three cannon wagons that are at the back of the board. So actually they're really difficult to kill for a lot of people. Yeah, it turns from killing a third half your army to almost tabling you to max out that secondary. So that's a massive swing. Huge, huge swing, yeah. Um, and then the the other thing to, to kind of counter that is I need to give myself opportunities. And it, I think anyone that has stood at a board in ninth and tried to pick secondaries against certain armies especially the elite armies your custodies your salamanders your harlequins even you you can stand there and and almost get a little bit of a mental block in terms of the secondaries that you are able to choose and score and you end up choosing the wrong ones so for me i i needed to put something that i could score easily and that is deploy scramblers so i run two units of commandos and and um (laughs) presuming i remember to to put the uh the deploy scramblers down in my first turn then there is a guaranteed secondary pretty much um it's kind of like a good fallback uh for if there's no other choices because certain maps play really well into something like raise the banners and you've got a couple of easy to achieve uh objectives in your deployment zone Uh, so yeah and then naturally I'd, I'd choose that on on those maps but i've always got that fallback of of 10 points for deploy scramblers which i think is really important no i think that's been a uh, absolutely fantastic run through of um not only your choices but again the justification is to absolutely why everything's on there and your use of threat saturation with vehicle units which obviously um you know saturating the board is a technique that we obviously teach on the academy and how to use that when you should when you shouldn't and you've you know you've perfected that and it's uh you know i remember when i played my harlequins into you and it really gave me a like challenge it was one of the toughest games i've ever played i think um you know with the harlequins in you, you played it superb and I can see that the work in the graft you've put in is really doing well and I can't wait to see what you can do um, going into this year as we start to get back out to the table. But you're happy to share your list if I'm all right to put that in the blog post yet? 100%, yeah, definitely. That's um, awesome. Get, and obviously get it out if, there. If you guys join the Academy, you'll be able to uh, pick Aaron's brains as much as you wish um, about Orcs um, and Again, Aaron, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you into the team and obviously uh, the team of coaches that we have. I think you're going to be a huge asset for us. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, guys. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited for, for the year to come, really, not just from a perspective of, of getting out there and, and playing at some events, but um, also just get really involved in the coaching and, and sort of spreading the orc love, I guess. 
No, absolutely. Um, Jack, thanks so much for hosting the podcast, mate. You've done a superb job. Thank you very much. I was, I was waiting for my compliments to come through, not just for the new boy. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, no problem. And uh, again, thank you to everybody that subscribes to the podcast, listens, shares, reviews, all that stuff really, really helps us. Um, I saw a recent announcement um, on one of the podcasting tracking things that I follow and the Competitive 40K podcast is in the top 2% of the world for podcasts. So, um, and that is thanks to you guys that listen for all the support you give us, the kind words and the reviews, all of that stuff. So again, thank you to all of you for helping us achieve that and hopefully by the end of the year we can make that top one percent which would be a huge huge milestone for us so once again i hope you've enjoyed this episode and uh, we'll be back next week for another show of the competitive 40k podcast and you never know we may bring aaron back but who knows uh, so until then take care and aaron jack it's been a pleasure so thank you